Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and you can support us on Patreon. The show is always free, but if you want to join us on there, you can, and you get a bonus episode of my weekly roundups. Like right now, I'm talking about The Boys and you know, Lovecraft Country and stuff like that that just doesn't fall into the movie category or in the favorite movie category. Um, and I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, I also want to mention my website. I love that moviepodcast.com. I post movie reviews on there as well as there's access to all the episodes and different places to stream the show. And then we have a discord and a Facebook group. So lots of ways to keep in touch if you want to join the conversation. And then actually following this episode, uh, when it drops the very next Friday, we will have a live recap. So Likely we'll talk about, you know, how you guys felt about this show, uh, this particular episode, and then we'll talk about probably neo-noir and other horror and things like that. So just kind of a fun little discussion where we hang out. Um, and that's all I've got to plug. <laughs> so I have a returning guest with me here today. I have Charles with Chax Productions. Say hi, Charles. Hi, Charles. I think I said that last time. It's probably not a good joke anymore. <laughs> You know what? It's a it's a favorite on the show. <laughs> I think people anticipate they're like they if, if they don't hear that, they're disappointed. Um, so, Charles, you were on our Fight Club episode. Yes. Um, and we're actually, you know, I thought about this today. You picked a movie again by the same director. But before yes. we get to that, uh, why don't you introduce yourself just a little bit? Uh, Charles Pointer of Chax Productions. Um I'm a cosplayer. Uh, it's actually how I met you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. um, I do, uh, as far as cosplay goes, I kind of do characters that are out of the way. Aside from that, I'm normal Joe, a dad, a nine to five or so. Not much more. Not much more excitement there. <laughs> <laughs> well, same here. I also have a nine to five. Surprisingly, this isn't extremely lucrative. Although I do appreciate the support that we get, it's definitely not paying any bills. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm right there with you. And yeah, we met through cosplay. I was just thinking I should do like a pie chart of like who my guests are because I feel like the pieces of the pie like would be podcaster, cosplayer, like those would be really big pieces. <laughs> <laughs> just how I how I meet folks. Uh so Charles, what uh what movie did you pick to talk about today? My guest always picks the movie. So you chose a movie today. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna talk about seven. Yes. Um, this came out in 1995 
uh, as I teased earlier, it's directed by David Fincher. So I'm sensing a theme here. Um, when did you first see this movie? I actually saw it uh, when it came out in theaters. Um, so uh, back in 95, I couldn't tell you the exact date. That was so long ago. Um, but uh, it, it really solidified. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be straightforward. David Fincher is my favorite director. He um, is in my top, you know, three to five. So I'm right there with you. I'm yeah. super excited that you picked this. <laughs> <laughs> and we, like you said, we did Bike Club before. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a very distinct style. I mean, you can you can see a movie and say, okay, this is a Fincher film. So I, I saw the trailers for it. I'm, I'm I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan. I'm a huge Morgan Freeman fan. And I was like, I got to see this in, in theater. And uh, went and was not disappointed at all. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all this time has passed and all the things that this project went on to influence, the way that it influenced Fincher's other work, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, it's definitely a film that sticks with you. And, you know, for me personally, it came out in 95, so I would have been like 12, 11 or 12. <laughs> and so I did not see it then, yeah. but I went through this phase where i think it was like right after fight club came out i watched fight club and then that kind of led me down a path of watching uh his work and so i saw it you know i was thinking about the other day i'm like to me it still would have felt like a new movie when i saw it even though i was 12 when it came out because if i saw it later as a teenager it would have only been out a few years so i remember watching it and absolutely loving it i remember some people in my life being like oh this movie's too dark you know, it's uh, it's too gory. It's all these things. And nope, I think, you know, probably when some of these movies came out, they are my formative movie years. And so they've influenced the films <laughs> that I like going forward. And so it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, before we go too much further, I do want to share with you guys that there will be spoilers on the show. It's not spoiler free. So if you haven't seen Seven yet, I would go back and watch it and then come back. Uh, but if you have or you're still with us, I'm going to read the description real quick. Uh, when retiring police detective William Somerset tackles a final case with the aid of a newly transferred David Mills, they discover a number of elaborate and grisly murders. They soon realize they are dealing with a serial killer who is targeting people he thinks represent the seven deadly sins. Somerset also befriends Mill's wife, Tracy, who is pregnant and afraid to raise her child in a crime-ridden city. Yep, there's a lot more to <laughs> yeah. uncover, but yeah. that, is the, that is the gist of it without giving too much away. Um, it, you know, I definitely would recommend if you haven't seen this before, you know, kind of strap in and get ready. I think the the unfortunate part is this movie is kind of quotable. So that box line, like yeah. everyone has heard, even if they haven't seen the movie, <laughs> yeah. but it's best if you don't know what's coming. Um, and the next thing I want to do is read off a couple of quick facts. And then, you know, of course, you know, interject with your comments. And if you have facts, we'll get to those as well. Uh, the first one I have is that, Denzel Washington turned on the part that went to Brad Pitt, telling Entertainment Weekly that the film was too, in quotes, <laughs> dark and evil. Uh, Washington later regretted his decision upon seeing a screening. I feel like that would have been a very different movie, don't you think, yeah. if it was Denzel instead of Brad I, I, Pitt? I do. I do. Um, it, because... 
part of the movie is is uh, well without I, you know we can go on for this for a bit I, part of the movie is is Brad Pitt's naivety you know he's he's very naive yes. he's new and he and he's got, he's got this idea I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a detective and I'm gonna change everything and I'll make everything right and 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 Somerset's been there he's been you know he's he's seen the world and he's tired and he's worn out and you know and at the beginning of the movie he's about to retire and uh you know that Denzel I love Denzel Washington he's a great actor I I don't know that that would have been this would have been a good fit because he hesitates to play serious roles yeah and, uh, um and Brad Pitt and this was earlier in his career he was he was still kind of playing those kind of you know goofy David Mills, he is kind of a goofball and he's kind of a, a dude bro, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, I think it, I agree. I think it works better with him being sort of like, I mean, he's kind of a fuck boy. <laughs> like he's kind of <laughs> like, you know, like he's kind yeah. of like yeah. watching it again. I was like, wow. Like I kind of forgot that that was his personality in this movie. Right. Um, And it, it just, he just reminds you of a guy that, you know, partied a lot in college and exactly. thought he was badass and exactly you know he's about to realize that he's not um right. and it works better with someone like brad pitt i think because he looks like that kind of guy right <laughs> you know denzel washington is an incredible actor but if he's in the role it's like i would have a i would just think like oh yeah he looks like a serious detective he has his stuff together you know <laughs> but um but yeah it's like a different definitely a different feel um, I also had that the film's dark and brooding look was achieved through a chemical process called bleach bypass. The silver in the film stock was not removed, which deepened the dark shadowy images in the film. Oh yeah. Yeah. That this is a, dark. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Subject matter aside, it, it is actually literally a very dark movie. I mean, you know, it. there's no, there's not even, there's no, sunlight in the movie at all aside from yeah. i mean even when they're out when it's daytime it's raining and it's dreary and there's no there's no light in the movie yeah it's you know you mentioned the rain it rains a lot in the film and um it's almost like blade runner-esque in that way like yeah. it's just dark and gloomy and miserable weather um, and the and the characters, I, I read a comment that the characters in the movie don't even seem to like notice the weather or even react to it. Mm -hmm. Almost like, yeah, oh well, this is you know this crappy, dark, wet city. Um, but yeah, like the the look of the film is is extremely dark, and I feel that you know you see that a lot in Fincher's work where he plays a lot with shadows and mm -hmm. light and dark, and um, yeah, the whole movie's dark except for the very end, which I'm sure we'll get to, but. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing that I had was that the movie spent four consecutive weeks at the top of the U.S. box office charts, which I didn't know that. Like, I knew it was a good movie and I really liked it, but I was kind of curious about the box office. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially for it's uh, you know, people are afraid to make rated R movies now. Of course, this was back in the 90s, but um, <laughs> yeah considering it's it's material and it's uh how, how again how dark and how it, it's not a happy movie there, there's there's no it's not a feel-good movie you know you walk out of there you know like oh you know that was 
it was great. That was a fantastic movie. You may think that in your, head, <laughs> your mind, but you're like, man, that was that was a jacked up movie. <laughs> well, there's a line in the movie where Morgan Freeman says, "This isn't going to end well." You know, this isn't yeah. going to have a happy ending. And he's kind right. of talking in the audience to a way, in a way. And Brad Pitt's like, if we catch the guy, it's going to be a happy ending. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's not true. <laughs> and we find that out later. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, I had a, a coworker that is was younger than me. And one time he told me that he didn't understand why people like seven so much. He thought it was just okay. It wasn't that great. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, what is he talking about? And then I, I thought about it and I think I read like a review on it or something. So I didn't come up with this, but the reason why he feels that way is because he lives in a post seven world because after seven came out, you then have like saw you have CSI shows. There weren't CSI shows before this, like this obsession that we have with like forensics and the science behind it. And that kind of detail, it didn't exist before this movie, which is really weird to think about because right. it came out in the nineties. You think that it, that doesn't even sound true, but if you look it up, like CSI came out later and again, saw, you know, a lot of people, when I saw Saw, I was like, this is okay, but I liked Seven better. I thought it was more right. elevated. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like by the time somebody younger sees this movie, they might be like, well, I feel like I've seen this a lot. And they probably right. have. <laughs> so it's like hard for them to understand how big of a deal this was when it came out. And I think that that speaks to that, you know, why it was so big at the box office, because it really was different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, did you have any like quick facts you wanted to throw in? Um, yeah, sure. I've got a couple. Um, this was actually, uh, Fincher's first feature link movie. Now he had alien three, which was credited to him. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, alien three, he picked that up about, uh, and, and I won't talk about alien three cause this is, I love movies. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I share that sentiment, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, he picked up <laughs> alien three, probably about three quarters of the way through production. And they basically handed it to him and said, do this, you know, do, do what you can with this. And, uh, but he gets credited for the movie and he actually is not happy about that. Uh, <laughs> um, he actually almost quit. He said, uh, after the whole fiasco with alien three and much of uh, such a mess that was that he said, I, I, I don't think this is for me. Um, but seven was really kind of a, a lightning in the bottle type of situation. There was so many For pieces sure. that fell into place. The, uh, the screenwriter was ready to give up. He'd been living in New York and uh, had written all these screenplays that didn't get picked up. And he was really kind of at the end of his rope uh, and uh, wrote seven because he was so depressed and they wow. picked it up. Yeah. They picked it up. Uh, and uh the, the funny thing about this is, is that the studio didn't want to do the original ending, which we'll talk about. They said, it's too dark. We don't want to do this. It's too dark. And they were going to, they were going to change what was, well, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so, but by mistake, the original, what we got, the original screenplay was sent to Fincher. And he said, yeah, I'll direct this. This is good. I like this. And they came back and said, you know, sorry, this is the wrong one. We want to change a few things about the movie we feel it's too dark and he said i won't do it if if you don't yeah wow so, yeah it's a totally different movie if you change the ending yeah so they brought him on and they kind of were gonna 
undermine him with the actors, with uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. And they were telling them, we're going we're gonna to change the ending up a little bit. And they both went to bat for Fincher and said, if you change anything about the way this movie is currently written, we won't be in it. Well, you know, I think Brad Pitt's always been very intentional with the movie roles he chooses. I mean, uh, he has like, you know, classic Hollywood looks, but he likes these kinds of projects better. I feel like Seven, Twelve Monkeys, you know. Right. Um, and yeah, there's not, not really a whole lot appealing if it ends happy because then it doesn't prove the point of the film. <laughs> right. Like, you know, and so um, I think that there's a lot, you know it's kind of described as like a thriller, a little bit of horror, a neo-noir, which I agree with that as well after watching it again, like aesthetically and then, you know, the themes. And then there's a lot of conversations about morality and it, I don't think it works unless you have a, an ending that feels realistic, even though a lot of fantastic things kind of happen. Like you kind of need that message to wrap up and make sense and, yeah, man, that would have that would have been terrible. That I think that would have just made it like, oh, okay, that was that movie was fine, you know. Yeah, like that it happened. So so glad that he stuck to his guns, and I'm not surprised to hear that, you know, he didn't like being accredited on the other project because, you know, the biggest thing I think about Fincher is he's an extremely technical director. He cares a lot about shots, about lighting, about composition, and to be put on a project where he didn't have a lot of control over most of it. That's probably like the worst thing for him. Oh yeah. Imaginable. So that makes sense. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention was the opening credit scene. Oh, um, yeah. It was really the first time anyone had done something and you see it a dime a dozen now, you know, everybody emulates that style with that kind of uh, jittery uh, credits with the, the wording and that kind of, uh, chaotic uh imagery that's kind of you know as he's, he's he's sewing the book together and it shows the images of the the people in operations or, or death or whatever uh it was the first time anybody had really done something of that style and like you mentioned now you see it everywhere you see it in the saw movies and you see it you know that kind of chaotic uh uh frantic opening credit scene with you know, crazy imagery and that type of thing. But really it was the first time somebody had done that. And that was also a last minute decision. He, he uh, Fincher had taken so much time developing the movie and they were running against the, the clock basically. And they said, we, had a, we don't even have an opening credit scene. And they approached this guy. I can't remember his name now. Um, but uh, he said, what, you know, what can you do? And the guy came back with this and they're like, Oh man, this is, you know, it's just perfect. <laughs> so, yeah the like serial killer handwriting and yeah, yeah um you know they use snippets from closer it, it feels like a music video like taking right, that exactly. aesthetic style from a music video and putting it in a movie um and yeah it, you're so right like i can imagine someone watching it and being like oh well like i've seen this a hundred times it's like no but this this is the movie that did it <laughs> the first yep. time so that is interesting i like that um kyle cooper kyle cooper kyle cooper okay yeah um, so do you want to talk about some of your, uh, favorite scenes from the movie? Oh man. Um, <laughs> you're like all of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have to say, I think, and, and again, a huge fan of Morgan Freeman, but I, I truly think this may be my favorite performance of his. Uh, I agree. Yeah. He's so meticulous and serious and, and, there's so much 
emotion in this movie um, that he does so well. Like uh, there's a scene where Tracy reveals that she's pregnant. And I mean, and and the the camera switches between looking at her face. You're, You're never really seeing both of them at the same time during that conversation. You're seeing her, you're seeing him. And as they talk, it switches between their two faces and the emotion that he conveys during that particular conversation, just on his face alone. It's just, it's, it's just amazing. Um, Yeah. It's, it's so layered because, and I think that's something I, you know, when I was watching it uh, today, I was thinking about how, you know, movies change with, with you as you age and his performance in this movie has changed for me as I've gotten older. Like I see the nuances, I think more now, Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, a story about an older cop that or detective that uh, is experiencing all the stuff that he's going through. I'm like, you can ask Nick, like I'm obsessed with like, <laughs> you know, the, the cop dramas like I, I mm-hmm. love stuff like this. So I I really like his character arc, but also watching it again and thinking about the fact that his character, William, is. I mean, he, he is retiring, like you said, but also he has this feeling that he may have like wasted the best years of his life. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was so engrossed with the job and so damn good at it that he was relentless and he did an incredible, incredible work, but at what cost he never got married. He never had kids. He never lived his own life. His life became his work. And you know, he looks around at the city and it's that, that typical older cop saying, I don't recognize this city anymore. Like, you know, it could almost be a cliche, right? Because you see right. that a lot in film. But I think his character is so nuanced. And whenever that scene happens that you're talking about, the pain in his face, because he's like, I think right away he doesn't like Brad Pitt's character, David Mills, because he sees so much of himself in him. Mm-hmm. Young angry, ready to take on the world, and just how much this job is going to change him. Uh, How much living this lifestyle and living in the city is going to change him. And he can see that. And I think, you know, when he meets up with his wife, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Because number one, his wife calls him and she wants to meet with him. And you can tell he's like, where is this going? Why does she want to meet with me? And remember too, that he's lonely. I mean, he lives a solitary life. And then this woman calls him and she even says, I don't know anyone in the city. You're the only one I know. I need someone to talk to. And I think he can't help but feel really compelled and feel a connection and desperately want one. And then when he meets with her and then she reveals the pregnancy, the look on his face is like, oh my God, like, Brad Pitt is having that moment that I went through and mm-hmm. it could go either way. He may end up not having a kid or he, or he does have one and he's tells her, you know, that either she, you know, he suggests if you do not end up having the kid, then don't ever tell him because right. of, I think because of the pain he feels because he made that decision that he thought was right in the moment. And now he's looking back like, well, maybe I should have had children. Um, just, I don't know, just so, so many things going on in one scene, but really for that whole character. And I agree, like, I love, you know, Shawshank Redemption, Um, but you know, this movie, I think, I I think it might be his best role. I I agree with you. Yeah. And, and the two characters, I mean, just everything, 
I don't like to use the word perfect a lot. <laughs> I don't really actually like using the word perfect at all because some, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a strong word, but this, this to me may be a, a, a perfect movie. There's no wasted screen time or shots or, uh, everything everything has a purpose you know the scenes where it's downtime we, we, we see that somerset is, is meticulous and he's organized and he's clean and neat uh you know uh the, the shots with brad pitt rolling around with the dogs you know you know shows that he's he's messy and he's you know even his shirt is unironed you know he just throws everything together he's always uh, eating which brad pitt right. is always eating in every movie <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh yeah it, it's just like I said, it's, it's a perfect movie to me. Um, and, and that leads up to kind of, we're talking about, you know, you were mentioning how he doesn't like David Mills, Brad Pitt's character. And it's because they're so opposite in their approach of things. And there's another scene where, uh, Brad Pitt kind of wins him over. And it's, uh, I can't remember where it is in the movie exactly. They're, they have just come away from a crime scene and they are talking in a bar together. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, and he I, says, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I just, I watched it last week and I, I can't remember the exact wording, but, uh, you know, Brad Pitt basically says essentially, you know, what's your deal? And, and uh, Morgan Freeman says, you know, I, I've just seen all this, you know, and you can't change the world. And, I don't want you to, to, to think, and this may be the scene where he says, you know, this doesn't end well. Uh, you know, he says, uh, things just don't turn out. There's no way you can change the world. You know, I just want you to understand that. And Brad Pitt says, no, I'm never going to accept that. And I don't think that you feel that way uh, because you still wouldn't be doing this if you did. And uh, he says, I'm going home. And he walks out of there. And, and Morgan Freeman, you kind of see it again. It's one of those nuances on his face where he's, he kind of realizes that, you know, Brad Pitt's not wrong. And and uh, that this is what he has devoted his life to. And, and that at one point, he he probably had that same, you know, mentality. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world and I can fix things. And I think that was really the point where he started to respect and started to appreciate Brad Pitt's character. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in the beginning you have trouble telling like why there's so much tension between them other than their differences. But, um, you know, I think part of why he was so angry at him is like, how can you be so naive? And he says that in that scene, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, he acted like, Oh, I want this case. Oh, I want to do this. And he had told, you know, his boss, like, I think, I don't think he should be on this case. And it's, it's all because he can see the full picture in a way that Brad Pitt can't because he's been at the job for so long. Um, and he kind of has a point in that once they catch this guy, yes, they catch him, they stop him. There's so many crimes out there. There's so many, you know, killers out there. And I think he's felt like throughout his career that it's never really over and it's never really enough. And are they even really doing any good? Um, but Brad Pitt, when he says like, I know you don't believe that and all that, I think Morgan Freeman's character desperate, even though he's so like misanthropic and upset about, you know, what's going on and he's convincing himself to leave. 
I think he wants someone to talk him out of it. You know, like he kind of wants someone to be like, hey, you didn't waste your life and it has meaning. And, you know, this is important work we're doing. And so that turn, it's like he really convinced him. He talked him into it and he really appreciated that. And it it changes their relationship for the rest of the movie. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another scene, and I don't know, I can't really tell you why. I, and it's probably just because it it is so offset from the rest of the movie is when he goes to uh, the library. Yes. Somerset <laughs> does. Too. <laughs> and he goes in and it's, it's this nice quiet building and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's dim, but it's pleasantly lit uh, and it's clean. And he goes in and uh, you know, he has the security guards are upstairs playing poker. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, you've got all these books, what are you doing? And they say, you know, you know, we're, we're having a good time. We're playing poker. And he says, we know what about culture? And he says, here, here's some culture for you. And they start playing classical music. And the whole scene is just him, uh, you know, looking through books and and studying and doing some research. And it's just over this classical music. And it's like one of the, the, like peaceful, quiet moments, maybe, maybe the only peaceful, quiet moment in the movie. Yeah, you can tell he's really enjoying the research aspect of it. Right. Um, And that his happy place is being in this library, pouring over books. Um, Yeah, and I feel like, you know, before this movie, the the only other film that I could really compare it to, although it's not the same, would have been um, Silence of the Lambs. Um, There's something, you know, intellectual and... Uh, complex about the villain in our story that we don't even see till the last 30 minutes. <laughs> yep. But um, I think too, it's the, it's the part he, he says in the movie, like don't uh, underestimate this killer. Um, you're assuming he's crazy, but he could be very intelligent. It seems like so far he is. And if we dismiss him, then we're not going to be able to, you know, take him down. And so this is a part in the movie where he's, he's diving in and doing all the research necessary um a a non-glamorous part of the job i mean there's there's times when brad pitt's character is like why aren't we out there right now doing something we're just sitting here rotting and he's like this is the job yeah i mean that's i feel like a lot of being a detective is literally like sitting in a car or sitting at a desk pouring over paperwork it's not they don't you're not supposed to be in it for the glamour of it you know the investigation is a big part of it which i always like I think that's probably why and like no shade to anyone that likes those shows, but I've never been like a big fan of CSI and stuff like that because I like things like this where you see all the research and, you know, waiting and all that kind of stuff because I feel like it's just so much truer to life, you know? Right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So all this goes on and um, just, uh, and you know, there really aren't that many characters in the movie no uh, it's, uh, it's not pretty really. much yeah it's just it's it's tracy david uh somerset uh and i forget uh who their who the sergeant is uh what his name is does he even did they ever even mention his name i'm, I'm looking at imdb Army. right now yeah um uh, let's see somerset tracy officer Doctor, he may not have an A. It says police captain. Yeah, yeah. R L 
Ermi is the name of the actor, but yeah, police captain. Oh, that's a weird detail. I never noticed they don't say what well, his name I, I, is. Yeah, and, and it actually, it, it occurred to me that I didn't get, couldn't think of his name. Uh, Lee Ermi, the guy that played the uh, fantastic uh, drill sergeant in uh, Platoon. Yeah. Uh, not Platoon, uh, right. Full Metal Jacket, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Full yeah. Metal Jacket, yeah. Um, and then, of course, Kevin Spacey. Um, yeah, which, the, the knowing what we know now about Kevin Spacey <laughs> makes the role even more interesting. So, yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, and um, it, it's definitely one of those areas where you know we can't really get away with not talking about him because he's a big part of the film. But fortunately, he's a bad guy in the film, right. so it kind of <laughs> yeah. makes it go down easier a little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, he is in this and. I don't know about you, but when I first saw this movie, not knowing the ending, when you see that it's Kevin Spacey, it was like shocking to me. I was like, what? Like, I it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. Like a yeah, huge and- name that was the bad guy. I just didn't, I wasn't ex- planning on that. See, I'm trying to think of, I'm going to have to look over his filmography for a second. When it came out in 95, I don't know that I had seen him in a whole lot. I'm looking yeah i i hadn't seen okay so yeah it looks like usual suspects came out the same year yeah which is another fantastic movie um uh but i hadn't seen i think i saw outbreak but i hadn't seen usual suspects and prior to that i'm looking at the list i hadn't seen any of these movies so i had no idea who he was i'm trying to think when american okay american beauty came out in 99 so i think i had seen that first just because of the timeline when i would have seen it yeah. And I think I saw Capex <laughs> um, and a couple of his other films. So I knew who he was, but but only because I saw this later mm-hmm. when he was already a big star. Yeah. So, um, I mean, so the reveal for me, yeah, the real reveal for me was like, okay, here's another, I don't know who this guy is. Not that he didn't <laughs> do a good role uh, or a good job on the role, but uh, yeah. But, but So for me, it was a little, it didn't have the same effect on me. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, that's Kevin Spacey. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So that might not have been like, he might not have been cast for that reason because he wasn't necessarily super famous yet. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Hadn't thought of it that way. Um, one thing we haven't talked about yet that I kind of want to dive into a little bit is the the gore in the film. So this film has a lot of violence, but we see no violence on screen. Mm-hmm. And... To me, that's what separates it from movies like, you know, Saw or something like that, where um, part of the movie experience is seeing the crime taking place or seeing the violence take place. But it's almost worse when we get these like scenes that look like something out of like a, I don't know, like a haunted house that you walk into when you walk into a room and see that Um, they're very horrific. And it's almost, I think, worse because we're imagining what happened and we're being told what happened, but we're not seeing it. And I kind of like that kind of stuff in movies more than just showing it to you. Cause I feel like that's easy and building dread and, 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 you know, having, having it already have happened. I think that's riskier. Right. I agree. Uh, And and it's more screen time, you know, it's, it's more screen time devoted to the action itself um, that could be used for, any number of things, character development or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, that's why books work so well, you know, you, you, you can, you can, you can visualize or imagine or, or, you know, you you know, it plays in your mind when it's shown to you, you're like, okay, this is exactly how it went down. 
when you see uh, the the lawyer, you know, who's just kind of you know bent over, laying over the the, the scales or the the uh, the man who was in the spaghetti bowl, you know, you you see these horrific things, but you didn't see them actually happen. So you your mind kind of kind of fills in the blanks, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, and you're seeing it from the vantage point of the detectives. You know, right. a lot of times movies like this is from the vantage point of the serial killer. Um, but in Fincher's work, he tends to shift the perspective to the detectives. Mm. And so it's it's really a mystery and following them only. Um, not a lot of attention is paid to John Doe. And in fact, we never even find out his name. Um, it's more about their investigation, I feel like. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I just, I was going to say something again, I was going to say how much I love Fincher's work. It just, you know, every, he, he's, you said, like I said, he's a very technical director and, and he doesn't waste anything. He uses everything he's given, uh, time and the, you know, the actors. And uh, I went through his filmography and even the movies that I, I, I put in quotes that were okay are still so well done um but uh yeah just uh i think most what i most about his work is how visual he is um everything everything that he does has a very distinct look like i said you can tell when it's a venture film and and I was to say, and this, uh, and this being his first film, I mean, he just, you know, he just knocked it out of the park. I know. And I love, um, so like we talked about Somerset a little bit. The other thing that I like about him, that character, is I love how many times other characters, mostly Brad Pitt's character, but other characters are like losing their mind or getting angry or getting amped. And he is sitting back and observing um, mm-hmm. And you can tell that most of his detective work is is just observe, observation. He is deducing things in his mind. He's not outwardly expressing how he feels. He's taking it in. And then when he asks questions, even to the killer at the end, they're always like fielding questions that are very calm, but mining information. And he's trying to be a little bit, I don't want to say unbiased, but... He's putting the, um, you know, the importance of getting an answer over how he feels in that moment. Right. Um, and, and I've always loved watching projects where there's a detective and a lot of what he does is just, you know, like lean back in a corner and watch. Because it's like, to me, that's like very, really interesting because a lot of our hero archetypes are, you know, sarcastic or they're kind of they're jerks or you know they're very confident or i think that a quiet you know contemplative hero is just really interesting to me mm-hmm. yeah and i agree with you about uh you know fincher he's one of my favorite directors and i'm absolutely in love with mindhunter i don't know if you watch oh, mindhunter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah oh man it's just like every single <laughs> episode is like gold to me it's like he took <laughs> everything from this movie and just like perfect affected it in that show um such a treat if you haven't seen that um and great character work there too so yeah i love all of it i love the look of his films the character work and just the attention to detail 
And the fact that the characters, like, their job is, like, paying attention to details. Like, it all kind of works together really well. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but, yeah. So, uh, let's see. What other scene should we discuss? Uh, do you have, like, a favorite? It sounds bad to say favorite, I guess. But, like, a favorite sin, death, or scene? <laughs> like, I don't what's know What's your favorite murder in a movie? Yeah. What, what's, what's the best murder? But maybe, like... <laughs> Maybe favorite isn't the right word, but like, what's like the most shocking or compelling or, you know, what, what sticks out with you the most? Honestly, I don't know why. I, I think it's the first one. I think, uh, I think gluttony sticks out with me the, 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 the most. And that may just be because it kind of sets everything in motion for the movie. You know, you, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a, you mentioned a haunted house earlier. It, it almost that that whole house and the setup and the the way it was laid out is almost like a like a like a haunted house. You know, you walk in and place is falling apart. There's a TV playing, and uh, they go in and there's this you know just this huge body laying over the the table, and you can see his veins and he's very pale, and uh, it's just setting up the whole the whole movie with that scene they, they meet. And so I, I think it may just be not necessarily that it's my favorite death slash sin, <laughs> yeah. but it just, that it's probably poor choice. Yeah. Words. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it sets everything up and, and you know, the, the two, the two detectives meet for the first time. And uh, the, the, I think that's my favorite. I, the most shocking probably is the uh, sloth. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, that like horrified me. I was young when I saw it, but it is, yeah. Especially since I do want to mention too that I noticed this time. Well, number one, that first death. Uh, I think in general, our attitudes about this, you know, quote unquote, sin of gluttony has really shifted since 1995. But it's interesting to me in that scene. When um, Brad Pitt's character says, how could someone let themselves go like this? You know, really judgmental about this person mm-hmm. that was died in this horrible way. And you can see it in uh, in uh, Morgan Freeman's face that he doesn't agree. Like he's like, man, look, he let himself go. Look at what happened to him. And he died like this. And Morgan Freeman just kind of looks like, really, man? Like this, this guy's yeah. dead. Like this is sad. <laughs> like this is a victim. And then they find out that he was murdered. You know, it, it gets complicated, but then that scene that you talk about with Sloth, uh, you know, one of the detectives whispers to him when he thinks he's dead, you know, you got what you deserved. Right. And this attitude about somebody that is struggling with addiction as like, well, you know, you deserve this. It, I don't know, it paints a picture of how the police uh, view some of the people that they're helping or investigating mm-hmm. or maybe society. and and then you know, later in the movie, when we hear from the killer, it's like he points a lot of that out. Like, oh, well, I'm sure, you know, you felt the same way I did about the lawyer. And, you know, Morgan Freeman is like sort of thinking through that. And so is, you know, Brad Pitt. But it's like, he's almost like saying, well, I'm like you, I I hate all these people and, and I hate their, the terrible parts of them. So it's okay. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting this time, like thinking about that, you know? Um, Morgan Freeman seems to consistently be a little bit more empathetic than Brad Pitt's character. Right. 
Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, like in almost every way possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, he's young and he sees everything in sort of black and white. And uh, Somerset sees everything with a lot of shades of gray because he's lived so long and worked so long in that at that job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, too, it's also disconcerting because... Morgan Freeman's character says like, you know, I don't recognize a city anymore and it's terrible and blah, blah, blah. And then to hear a bad guy say all that, it's like, ugh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's that. I don't want to be on the same page as this guy, you know? Right. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting, but yeah, they I think actually, I agree with you. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say, you mentioned the city. They never actually identify the city. They never name the city. They never say I'm in Chicago or I'm in New York. Oh, uh, they intentionally left the that. city ambiguous um, and there's a subway clearly. So, you know, it has to be a major metropolitan area with a, with a mass transit system like Chicago or New York. Uh, but that's actually been a subject of some debate with people who have watched the movie is what city is this in? It was intentionally mm. left ambiguous. The only clue that what city they're in is there's a scene in the background. There's a pizzeria that says New York pizza, but that in no oh. way identifies the city as it being in new york right you could have a new york pizza place in sure. chicago or la right. or, yeah yeah it i think that that's a good idea too because it's like i don't know it's like big cities have big city problems so right you know it, it's like to be like this is new york and i hate it <laughs> which is kind of how the <laughs> writer felt but right. um uh, but yeah, I didn't notice that. I just kind of assumed it was New York, but yeah, it could have been Chicago too. I mean, subway and everything, yeah. you know, it, it could be in either city. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, when I was watching it this time, I was thinking this could be because I'm a big comic book nerd, but I was like, it, it's like Gotham, you know, like the way <laughs> yeah. that Gotham is portrayed. Yeah. A big city with a bunch of crime, you know, right. who knows where it is. Um, but yeah, that that's really cool. I like that. And to go back to the favorite death question, <laughs> um, again, need a new phrasing for that. But uh, <laughs> I think I feel the same way. I think that the first one, it really sets in motion that something bigger is happening here. And right away, Somerset's like, okay, I want out. Like, obviously, something horrible yeah. is happening. <laughs> like, I really don't want to do this. Um, but then he can't help it. And he's compelled because he's so smart. And he's just the only guy for the job. Like, there's nobody that can do the job like he can. So he has right. to come back. And I, I like, I like that about it. And again, mercifully, I feel like we don't see a lot of the violence because I don't really like seeing that. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's better for it to be in retrospect, um, except for that poor guy in the, the lust scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's like they all kind of serve a purpose for the story. Um, and so I can kind of be like, oh, okay. And I think too, like if I were, I mean, I am a bit of a horror fan, but I think if I were really into like special effects, um, I could imagine those scenes being really exciting to somebody that's really into that, you know, mm-hmm. because it's cool. It's like, it's got that same, you know, it's something that would be in Fangoria, but it's in this movie that's like a little bit you know, smarter, quote unquote. Right. Right. Um, I feel like it, this movie wants to be identified as thriller versus horror because of that stigma. But I feel like that's kind of changing these days. People are starting to see horror in different ways. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see who else have we not. Well, should we talk about the bad guy? Yeah, let's go ahead and cover that. Okay. I mean, <laughs> um, 
it, it, Somerset says, you know, he mentioned before, he says at some point in the movie that mistaking this guy for just another, you know, run of the mill murderer is, is a, is a bad call because, you know, he's patient and he's, you know, intelligent, he's showing intelligence and that, you know, he's, he's clearly wanting to get this message out. And, uh, and Kevin Spacey's character knows, knows this. He knows that he's got the, because uh, he, he cuts the, you know, he cuts his uh, fingerprints off. And, mm-hmm. and so he's meticulous. Um, uh, and so the scene where they actually find him, they find his, his apartment. That was a great scene because, you know, he's clearly not intending to be caught this early and uh, right. just got lucky that he wasn't at home when, when they got there, uh, which, which plays again to how intelligent Somerset is because he figured it out. You know, mm-hmm. he said, okay, I know a way we can find this guy. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, you mentioned silence of the lambs. Prior to those two movies, I don't know that murderers were portrayed as, you know, calm and collective and uh, the killers were always crazy. You know, any of the slasher movies, you know, the horror movies back in the 80s were all, you know, larger than life characters. And you wouldn't say they were calm or intelligent or so uh, this this really kind of turned that... uh, uh, stereotype on its on its on its head. Um, yeah, and I think now you know we're we're sort of in a culture that, and I'm always so conflicted about this because I'm very into true crime. Like I, I I listen to a lot of podcasts and I follow things, but one thing that's always kind of bothered me about you know people that say like, oh, I love studying serial killers, and I feel like I'm kind of like Brad Pitt's character where I'm like, they're not geniuses like you know there's i think because of movies like this sometimes people portray them as like oh they've all got these secret plans they're even geniuses and it's like (laughs) usually that's not the case i mean there are some like you know uh the unabomber that did have this like relationship with the police where they kept sending them messages or you know uh the zodiac killer um but the biggest thing that I've always disliked is when people say things like this, they go, Oh, well, they wanted to be caught. And I've always heard on the, you know, stuff that I've listened to or read, they say that's actually not true. Um, They're just so narcissistic that they really truly believe that they're so smart. They'll never be caught. So Mm -hmm. don't mistake that their motive is that they feel guilty and they want to be like punished. They just think that they're going to get away with it. So I feel like that's how this character is in the movie. He didn't lay out all these clues because he wanted to be caught. He laid out all these clues because he thought he was puppeteering the entire situation and they weren't going to get to do anything until he let them. I mean, he says that he's like, how, how he says to Brad Pitt at the end, like, you know, you'll live as long as I allow you to, as long as I want you to. So for him, it was really all about control, even though he had all this, you know, all the, all this manifesto of what he believed and justification, a lot of it was just his ego, his narcissism. Right. So like you said, he didn't plan on this part and he even tries to like play it off later of, you know, suggesting they would have never, ever caught him, which isn't necessarily even true. 
um, right. but what he believes instead. Yep. And it's like, I like that because it kind of lets you have both where, you know, he he's a good adversary, but I, I'm glad he isn't just portrayed as like a perfect evil genius. You know? Right. <laughs> like, I think at the end, they kind of poke a lot of holes in his theories about yeah. enjoying his work and stuff like that. Yeah, he never really rebuts uh, uh, Somerset's questions. He, yeah. he, you know, when Somerset's questioning him, he kind of sits back and he's like, oh, he kind of got me there. It, he doesn't really get riled up until, you know, Brad Pitt's poking at him. And as we've mentioned, Brad Pitt's not the not the, the smartest of the two. So he's always <laughs> kind of, you know, <laughs> saying stuff that, that isn't necessarily the most intelligent. Uh, yeah. And, and that's when he gets riled up. But he always, he, I don't know, it would have been interesting to see. Somerset and and, and uh, John Doe interact without right Brad like an Pitt. interrogation. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know Brad Pitt's actions in the movie actually impact the case significantly because they later find out he was the photographer that he roughed up, and there right. seems to be a theme in the movie of his anger really getting in the way of his detective work. <laughs> right? I mean, there's so many moments where he completely loses it. And is so angry and Somerset is just like looking at him like, bro, calm down, like <laughs> dial it down, man, like figure that out. Because he yeah. does set the whole movie, even there's that one scene where he gets frustrated just reading. <laughs> like It's like, man, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's just like, all he he's cares like, about is action. No thinking, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just he has funny. To get the, the cliff notes for Paradise Lost. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a good scene. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. But yeah, so, you know, and it's just going to highlight how, you know, his his sin at the end. Yeah. So let's talk about the end. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> well, um, I got to be honest. Uh, this when I saw this uh, a trigger warning here, um, when I saw this and uh, Somerset opens the box and, and prior to them opening the box, John Doe has already said, I visited your wife. Right. I thought, I thought, uh, because the movie had been so dark, I thought for sure it was the fetus in the box. I, they don't say, right? That, they, what's, what's in the box? They do say, they say, they, they say, he says, I took her pretty little head. Oh, that's right. He does say that. Okay. Yeah. But we just don't ever see it. Correct. And yeah. I thought. When we opened that box, I thought, man, the movie is not going to go there because that is just crazy. Yeah, that's too dark. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody wants to hear about a, you know, murdered child. Like, that's too much. So Even though that's what happened, but in a different way. Yeah. But in a box, it feels wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it ended up being her head, I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) I mean, that sounds (laughs) terrible, but. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, so this whole thing's planned out. He he takes him out to the middle of nowhere, and he has this poor deliver delivery guy deliver this box with Tracy's head in it. Well, and and, and also like it's mentioned that he gets the information about his wife because he was posing as press, and earlier. You know, they almost caught him when he was pressed or he roughed him up and then he right. goes and gets his wife. Like, it feels like he made that happen. Like he became one of his targets 
because well, of his own action almost. Correct. And he even says that that photography scene, he, he even gives him his name. He says, David Mills. Oh my God. You I forgot about that. that. Mm-hmm. Oh. So yeah, he pretty much gives him all the information he needs. David Mills detective, you know, and he can look it up and find out where he lives. And Ooh. yeah, I forgot so, about that. Yeah. The, uh, so at the very beginning, we were talking about endings of the movie. The, the movie one or the uh, studio wanted to change that to be one of the dogs. And I just, that would be silly. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't even work. I mean, it that would just work. be so ridiculous. He'd be like, you killed my dogs. How dare you? You know? How dare you? I'm going to murder you? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I love my dogs, but yeah, I don't think I would ever. Yeah, I don't know. That, that I don't think that works. It works in John Wick and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, no. Um it, it it had to be her because I felt like the whole story centered around the fact that, I mean, Tracy is sort of like this character that, you know, Somerset sees her, her warmth, her, her love, her ex- expressing that she wants to get out of the city and she wants to start a family. And he's thinking about a back on his life of regret. And then Mills is sort of, you know, convinced that he can have it all that the job isn't going to take over, that he's going to get to have the white picket fence and, and kids and everything is going to be rosy. Um, So this shatters that worldview. Um, You know, this is the first time too, I think that the killer is bringing someone completely innocent into it in his own mind, by his own rules, Mm -hmm. all the people he kills are innocent, but um, Tracy is especially innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, she really is the only Somerset's not a bad person, but she's really the only warm character, the only friendly character, you know. Uh, and she she was a school teacher, you know. So they 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 built her to be this kind of innocent character. And um, Mills is obviously upset. He's you know he's 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 on the edge, and then. Uh, he finds out that she was pregnant and, you know, he right. wanted the family and everything. And that was, that was kind of the, the moment where he snapped. Uh, but just, I mean, just a, just a gut punch of an ending, you know, you're, you're sitting in this whole movie and you're like, Oh man, this is just what a terrible place and terrible things happen to these people. And then the right at the end, it's just like, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. And it sort of justifies Somerset's demeanor, the whole film, because I feel like, you know, he kept telling him like the, the you know, this job, I mean, he doesn't say it that way, but the job changes you and it changes how you view people. And it's like as horrified by the ending as he is, he, you know, obviously he's not going to feel the same way as Brad Pitt, but I also feel like he's seen horrible things for a long time now. So he's like less affected by it than yeah. someone yeah. new to the job. So it's like, it, it almost feels like this weird, dark, self-fulfilling prophecy where it's almost like he didn't want to be this right, you know, that mm-hmm. it would be this much of an impact on him. Um, but that is what happens. And yeah, that that extra, oh, you didn't know she was with child because that was something she was debating the whole movie. Like, do right. I tell him or, you know, I think she was contemplating having having an abortion. Maybe this is the wrong time uh, to start a, a new family. Right. And then by, it's obvious by the end she had made the decision to have a child. So, right. yeah. Ugh. Um, and, yeah, it's like you kind of can't imagine that it's going to end any other way at that point, right? I mean, they, the tension right. rises and then 
he shoots him. But I did think, I don't know if this is dark, but I thought, well, he's probably going to get off pretty easy. Like well, I, when I was a kid, I was like, oh no, he'll be in prison for life. And now I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they even kind of say that uh, the, the police captain. <laughs> yeah. They're like, give him everything he wants. Yeah. He says, we'll take care of him. People don't get. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll take care of him. And, and then Somerset says, you know, whatever, whatever he needs. Yeah. So, um, I usually yeah. disagree with the whole crime of passion thing, but you know, in that instance, I mean, <laughs> it's not premeditated, you know, he, right. um, but yeah, wow. And so you can see at the end, it just like totally breaks him. But then the one kind of positive part of the movie is Morgan Freeman. You know, they ask him like, what are you going to do next? And he says, I'm going to stick around a while. Yeah. Because I'll be around. The, yeah. this whole thing proved to him, actually, he can't leave, you know? Right. He's needed and um yeah, the world needs him and he feels he's kind of regained his purpose in a dark way. Yeah. <laughs> a very dark way. But yeah, and then he there's that quote at the end too from Hemingway. That's a fantastic quote. That's such mm -hmm. a fantastic quote, especially in context of I mean the the quote itself is 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 good, but that the actual quote and his line together uh i love that quote uh i love that line uh ernest hemingway once wrote the world is a fine place and worth fighting for i agree with the second part yeah i like that because it's kind of got that Basically just saying you know showing again that somerset's view is is not uh uh is not cheery or you know he, he sees the world for what it is but that it's still worth trying to make it right yeah there's he still believes there are good people right that need help even if the world that they live in isn't great yep yeah oh i like i'm looking through the quotes and there's one where uh john doe says i spared you david oh i like that <laughs> line too because it's kind of like again it i feel like it all goes back to just his ego you know i mean he says he spared him and he did but they got the drop on him and he, the only reason he doesn't kill him is because of his plan, but right. he didn't really. Yeah. It's like, he just wanted him to know, like I could have, I could have killed you then, you know? And it's like, right. okay. Like again, his, his ego seems to be the biggest part of his motivation. Um, and he talks about how like everyone's going to remember and contemplate it forever and stuff. And it uh, really I, gets to him when David's like, people will forget about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. tell you uh, that, and it's 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 not out of place for the character or in the movie. It's just talking about a funny line from this movie that gets me every time. Is the uh, captain sitting at sitting at the desk and he's and the phone's ringing. <laughs> he, says, <laughs> yeah. he says, "Hold on a minute." And he picks up the phone. He says, "This isn't even my desk," and he hangs up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah, I like the line, too, from John Doe saying, wanting people to listen, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer, and then you'll notice you've got their strict attention. Doesn't that seem like the internet? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like we operate on that philosophy now, yeah. uh, upsettingly. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, um, we could go on. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a whole nother episode yeah <laughs> you know? but um but yeah uh 
it's such a great film and I like, you know, I, I think like you could call it a lot of different genres, but I think the best one for me, even though it's a thriller, even though it's horror, I think neo-noir fits it so well because oh, yeah. just like so many things about it, but, um, and, and I just like that, that genre, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this brings me to my last couple of questions for you too. Uh, if you had to summarize, why do you like this movie so much? Like what, what keeps you coming back to it? It was so groundbreaking at the time. I mean, there was nothing there had been uh, silence. of The lambs was close. Um, but, and, and it sounds, it sounds, uh, I don't know. I'm not a bleak person, but this is such a, <laughs> It's it's a bleak movie. It's not a happy movie. There's there's nothing. You don't walk away from this as as a you know. It's not a feel good movie. And I've always had a soft spot for movies that don't have a, a nice neat resolution. You know, because that's that's not how life works. It's not always sunshine and lollipops. And uh, and because this movie just pushed the edge and it did so many new things and and it was a bleak movie, but it was you know it was bleak times you know bleak turned up to 11 um and and again because i love brad pitt and i love morgan freeman and their their performances were just spot on it's just like i said it's just a perfect movie to me um my wife said you know this movie may not have aged well because it's been a little bit since i've seen it and she said this movie may not have aged well and i said i don't i don't know how it wouldn't because i mean it it can really fit in any time, you know, any, any modern time. There's no, there's no, you know, crazy technology in it. There's no, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe in 30, 40 years, it might seem a little out of place, but even now, I mean, it, it, it still holds up. It could, it could be something that happens tomorrow. So, uh, but yeah, that is just a perfect movie. Yeah. I think you're right. It has a, a timeless quality to, the nature of the crimes in the film and even the detective work. There's a couple little minor things like um, the, you know, when he talks, when Somerset talks about the FBI sort of surveillance on the library, Mm -hmm. apparently like that's a thing they actually do now. But at the time when this movie came out, they didn't. So that sounded more shocking to people like, you know, Oh no, the government's watching me now. We're like, yeah, the government's watching me right now from my phone. Who cares? Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that was kind of interesting. And then I think, you know, Brad Pitt's character says some like homophobic stuff. Um, but I feel like that speaks to his anger and his lashing out and mm-hmm. his honestly just immaturity. Right. Um, because none of the other characters say like, Oh, that was great that you said that. Or, you know what I mean? Like no one's joining in. So it's really just him having these little meltdowns um, that are going to play into the plot later. Um, But everything else, you're absolutely right. Like they don't, they're not like, you know, people make fun of CSI where it's like rotate, derotate, zoom in. You're like, this is like (laughs) science fiction. Like we can't do this now, you know? So I, I like that part of it. And also, I, I like detective stories that are, you know, a little, it's not, the movie's not slow, but that are contemplative, you know, that make you think about moral questions and mm-hmm. uh, where it seems plausible that they would find clues in different ways. Um, so I, I loved this movie when it came out and 
it rewards rewatching because of all the detail that Fincher puts into films. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you like some other stuff, then you need to come back to the, to the OG of this kind of movie. (laughs) Um, And so I, you know, recommend it for that reason. Uh, What, what is your sales pitch of the movie along those lines? Sales pitch. Yeah. You're like, Hey, you haven't seen this before, but it's like, or watch this because. Okay. Um, just uh, if you could stomach it, because there's some people who obviously don't like violent movies. If you could stomach it, uh, it's absolutely worth a watch, uh, even beyond the subject matter, just to see how masterfully the movie is made, directed, technical aspects, the music, everything. Just it's. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, sit down and watch it a first time. Go through the movie, right. take it in. Maybe wait a month or two, a year, I don't know. Then go back and see it again and take the time. Now you know how the story plays out to take in how technically well done the movie is. Yeah, because I think, you know, we said earlier, like almost everyone's heard what's in the box. So in in some way, this movie can potentially get ruined for people before they even watch it. Sure. But I think even if you know where it ends up, it's still pretty, a lot of shocking twists and turns. And I think it will reward your watching it anyway. Um, and I think that it it stands out in, I mean, it's Fincher's first real feature length film completely on his own, but it's like literally one of his best films too, Yeah, which is rare. Um, so it's, it's his Citizen Kane, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's just a great movie. And Honestly, if you get a recommendation from me, you know, nine out of 10 of the recommendations I give you are going to be some dark, gritty movie that involves detectives. Sorry, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but at least I know the good ones. Um, well, Charles, this has been really fun. Um, you're lucky that I didn't go on and on for like two hours about this because I really <laughs> like this movie a lot. Uh, but uh, I appreciated having you on. Um, I think you should keep picking Fincher movies or anything else you want to talk about. But where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I primarily, I mean, if you really want to see my stuff, the best place to find me is on Facebook. But given everything going on in the world right now, I'm not terribly active on any of the social media platforms. <laughs> um <laughs> More important things to worry about than making costumes. But um, uh, you can find me, uh, Chax Productions, C-H-A-K-S-P-R-O-D-U-C-T. Yeah. P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S on Instagram and Facebook. And it's just Chax Production on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on and, you know, hope to have you back soon. Thanks for having me. 